uh, I usually don't do lists, but today I have like three lists uh, that I want to go through. And the first one, we really are as we, Matt, we're actually in chapter two of Philippians, but we covered that, that passage last time. I think you were probably gone or something, but just kidding. Uh, but we're in chapter two and it's, it's really talking about humility here at the beginning. And he spends the whole chapter talking about humility. The, the first thing he first 11 verse that he talks about is humility with Jesus. I got uh, an email the other day from some organization that's all about promoting the church, and it said in there, our convention can change the future of your church. It's like, wow, if that's what we're dependent upon is a, a, a convention for changing us, we're in trouble. And so... Uh, there's a little bit of pride there that we're, we're talking about. And I'm a man who obviously deals with pride, but I spend my life in the pursuit of humbleness. I'm just being honest with you, I think that's an issue that uh, a lot of us struggle with. And um, yeah, let me, let me get into it. Humility versus pride. The first thing, uh, I got a list here. John Stott said, pride is our greatest enemy, and humility is your greatest friend. Number two, pride is demonic. First sin caused Satan to be kicked out of heaven versus humility, which is represented through Jesus' life. Pride is the encouragement to compare ourselves to other people versus comparing ourselves to Jesus. Pride covets the success of other people versus humility, which causes us to rejoice in their success. Pride is about me, what I deserve, what I want. Humility, that is to say, it's all about Jesus. Pride is about my glory, do you respect me? Do you want to be like me? Versus patterning your life after another, learning to be like Jesus. If you haven't figured it out, it really comes down to Jesus. As Matt was saying, it's always going to come down to Jesus and people. Pride, I, I am God versus celebrating the fact that God has lovingly served me. Ooh, think about that for a second. God has lovingly served me. Pride is arrogance, cockiness, smugness, and is repugnant versus humility, which really leads to confidence. The point of pride is independence, doing what we want versus acknowledging that we are dependent on a Savior to lead and guide us through life. Augusta said pride is the mother of all sin, the root of all sin, versus humility, which is the root of all joy. And the last one, Pride is something we can achieve in this lifetime versus humility is something that we pursue through this lifetime. <laughs> I'm proud to report that I am now humble. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't happen. You, you think about that, if you, if you just like inject, injected humbleness into our world, 
think about what our uh, presidential election would look like if there was humbleness. What, and what about the athletes? If there was, man, if Twitter all of a sudden changed to humbleness. Rap music, entertainment, we can go on and on. And so today's truth is obviously counterculture to what we hear all the time. We're talking about humility, and we'll start in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any encouragement here in this room, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Paul knew what some church workers today do not know. (laughs) That there's a difference between unity and uniformity. True spiritual unity comes from within. I've been a part of organizations where the whole goal was to have unity and there was no unity there. I mean, you, when you begin to fight for unity, that's not unity. I mean, they, we want it, they want it, but it's just not happened. It really comes down to it's a matter of the heart. And uniformity is the result of pressure from without. Now, when he says, if you want to be encouraged, if you want to experience love, if you want to experience joy, it's all going to come down to us thinking alike. Now, I know in this room there are some theological differences. No question about it. But if there's any one thing that we consistently teach in this room right here, It's about the exchange life. The exchange life. A few years ago, uh, Keith and I, through a series of emails and working with uh, high school students, we came up with a list of things that we believe and we wanted to teach to the high school students. Not going into depth, but just let me list those things. One, we're created with a body, soul, and spirit. He tells us that in 1 Thessalonians, Paul does. Everybody in here is three parts. Number two, sin nature is a problem. That all started in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall of man, Adam, and Eve. So sin nature is a problem. We all come from the seed of Adam, and we're all born with a sinful nature. Number three, new nature is in Sin nature is out. Once I come to a point of belief in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, he removes my sinful nature. It's no longer natural for me to sin. And I have a new nature. That's to follow the Spirit. I don't have two natures battling inside of me. Yeah, there's a battle going on up here, but there's one nature here. I am a new creation. I have been redeemed, as Dale sang. Number four, 
the law was an act of grace. God gave us the law, the Ten Commandments, and so forth, so that we could understand right versus wrong, even though we have a conscience that can do that as well. Number five, this is where churches will struggle, but law came so that you would sin more. Law came that you would sin more. Like, if I tell you not to look at this speaker, some of you have already looked at the speaker. Some of you are sitting there thinking about, how do I not look at the speaker? And all you can think about is not looking at the speaker. That's what the law does. Wet paint, do not touch. What do you do? You touch the paint. Stay out of the cookie jar. What do you do? You get in the cookie jar. That's what the law does. It causes you to sin more. Well, why in the world would God do that? Want us to sin more. It's not that he wanted us to sin more. It's just he wanted to see that we needed a Savior. We need a Savior. Number six, the new covenant came in Acts chapter two. Everything prior was law. This was a discussion that we've had over the last couple of weeks with some of our guys. Is like, it's it's you've grown up believing that there's an Old Testament and a New Testament, and that we live according to the New Testament. We're described as a New Testament church, but the real deal is that there's an old covenant and a new covenant, and the old covenant ends at the cross, and the new covenant begins when the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2 and lives inside of us. We are a new covenant church, and so there's a big difference. Even though Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are in the New Testament, it's still law. Jesus, the red letters in the Sermon on the Mount were law. You, you can't do the Sermon on the Mount. You can't. You can try. But that's what Jesus did. He taught the law so that you realize you need him. You need him. And then seven, forgiveness is complete at the point of salvation. The moment that I believed, I didn't understand this, like eight years old, but the moment that I believed that Jesus was my Savior, he forgave me of all my sins, past, present, and future. I, I was taught, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I had to do that every night. I didn't understand that it happened one time when the moment that I believed. And so forgiveness is complete at the point of salvation. I was forgiven when I was eight years old and I believed. Number eight, behavior is a function of your nature. Now that I'm a believer and I had this new nature inside of me, I behave out of that nature. Yeah, occasionally I still go back and I act out of my flesh, which is opposite of my nature. I still sin, I still make bad choices, but it's no longer my nature. But my behavior typically is based upon my new nature of Jesus Christ living in me. Number nine, sanctification is both past tense and present tense. This is a big one because it uses past tense in the scripture and present tense in the scripture. 
I am sanctified. He sanctified me the moment that I believed. My soul and my spirit is completely sanctified. There's nothing more that I can do to perfect my soul and spirit. My behavior, what I'm doing as I learn more about God and I walk by the Spirit, is becoming more in line with my nature every day. It's what's being sanctified. So at the same time that I am sanctified, my behavior is becoming sanctified. Ten, Jesus lives through you. Oh, this is the one. This is, this is where you, you try to get the pride out of the way and just let Jesus live your life. And everybody goes, well, what does that look like? How do you do that? Well, one, you've got to know him. You've got to know him. And then the hardest part is you've got to trust him. You've got to trust him. I can talk all day about that. Number 11, you have the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. Up here I said there's a battle going on. I have my brain, which is my hard drive. It's all my memories and everything else. With, from the, memories that I received from my five senses all the day from the moment I was born. It's all logged up here in my brain. But my processor now is I have the mind of Christ. I can think like God. Not God, but I can think, I have the ability to think like him. He gives me wisdom. He gives me direction. He gives me discernment. And as I read his word, I'm able to understand it. And you have that same mind if you believe. Verse 12, contrary thoughts are from the power of sin. Like I got some weird thoughts. Even right now I have some weird thoughts. And I have to understand that those are from the power of sin. There's something that dwells in my flesh, Paul says, and it's constantly sending me these negative thoughts. If I'm a new nature and I'm holy, righteous, and redeemed, how in the world could I be creating these thoughts that are going through my head right now? And so I have to learn how to discern what thoughts are from the power of sin and what thoughts are from the Spirit and what thoughts are just mine. 13, adversity leads to perseverance, perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope that doesn't fail. That's life. I can spend all day on that. And then the last one, hope leads to opportunities to make a defense for the hope that you have. I could not wait to get up here today. I've like sat for three weeks and just like, I've waited to get up here to talk about Jesus. And when you understand these things that we all think about and we teach in here and we live by and we all think alike, all of a sudden there's unity in this room. Because not everybody else is buying this. Not everybody else is like going for this. I can back all this up with scripture. We can talk about it all day long. But I, just because you say you believe in Jesus doesn't necessarily mean you think the same way that I think. And because we think generally in the same direction in this room, there's a bond here that's different. And then verse 3, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. 
how does pride break out in the church? I did youth ministry for years, and uh, there were there were lists, you know, like the the top fifty churches that baptize the most kids. I want to be on that list. How do I baptize more kids? Are you kidding me? Yeah, that was the game that I played. That was, seriously. And it's what I was taught. This, you just got to get more souls saved. You got to baptize more people. You got to like win the game. You got to get your numbers up. How does, how does pride break out here in Leavener? Not to say that, you know, we're perfect in our behavior. There's, there's pride issues in here. Proud people only care about what they care about. Humble people bear, care about the needs of other people. And that's the other reason I like this group. You really are focused on other people. My my car broke down the Sunday, the last Sunday that we met, and uh, I don't know how it got fixed. I know people were involved, but it got fixed. And I thank you. Because you care about other people. It's obvious. And then you think about uh, family first. As believers, it's family first, but that's not the only exception. You just can't focus on the family because you live in a community. You live with other people, and you think about other people. This is what true humility is. Is like, yeah, I'm going to take care of my family but I've also been given the ability to take care of those around me and then we get to uh, verse 5 adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. Only Christians, only Christians, only, only believers in Jesus, only believers in Jesus have the opportunity to understand real humility. Because Jesus is the perfect example of humbleness. I believe that. You think, think about that. We, we had uh, we had queso and chips. It's actually called chili con carne last night. Think about the word carne means meat. Incarnation. Jesus was incarnated. He actually God took on meat. He took on flesh when he came here. God became man here on earth. He experienced the same thing that you're experiencing. I'm going to say this. When I talked about the power of sin, the power of sin that like gave us crazy thoughts, Jesus experienced the same thing. I didn't say Jesus sinned. 
saying that he experienced some crazy thoughts up here. There was a battle going on in him inside of his flesh. The Garden of Gethsemane, right before he went to the cross, he sweat blood because the evil one's telling him not to go to the cross, not to go to the cross. So he took on flesh. The Creator entered into his own creation. The timeless entered into time. Think about that. Like There's no time up there, but down here there's time, and he entered into time. The omnipresent entered into a specific place. He entered into Bethlehem. He lived and grew up in Nazareth. He walked around the Sea of Galilee. He walked through Jerusalem. He came to a specific place. He was seated on a throne up there, but he was chose really to be born in a cave. That's crazy. You're seated on the throne in heaven, and you're going to come down here and be born where the shepherds roam. You're surrounded by angels in glory, but you come to be mocked by sinners, abused by sinners. He's living in heaven, and then he comes to live in poverty on the earth. Are you, are you getting this picture? Doesn't mean that God ever quit being God to become man. He set aside his divine attributes to be like us in full human life. He, he gave up wisdom to grow in wisdom. Emmanuel, God with us. If there's ever a picture of humbleness, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It says, And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Not just death, but death on a cross. Jesus' death on the cross is the most humble act anyone could ever perform. It was, it was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was Jesus himself who was humbled to die as my substitute. This is what happened. The sin of the world, like this, says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says in 2 Corinthians 21, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He took the sin of the world and he just like crumpled it up. And then he, he took it, he took it, and he died on the cross and his blood was poured out. His blood was poured out. And when that happened, look, look what happened. Warner, you ready? Nice catch. Unfold that right there. Stand up and show that. Turn around and show that. It's not around anymore. It's gone. 
sent him, the world is gone. Totally. That's what Jesus did. It says, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. The most beautiful name of all, Jesus. Jesus came to reconcile all sinners. The name of Jesus is the one that we should exalt because God has exalted him. Last couple of verses. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At that time, Nero was the greatest leader of the world. Every public event, the citizens would bend their knee and proclaim that Nero is the greatest leader of all time. Paul is saying that every knee will bow. You can try to straighten it out, but every knee will bow. My name does not matter. Leavener does not matter. The only name that matters is Jesus. That's it. It's not about us. It's not about our ministry. It's truly all about Jesus. Now look at these passages of Scripture, and I think about just the humbleness that is required. One, I know this. God hates pride. It says in Proverbs 8.13, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate arrogant pride, evil conduct, and perverse speech. And what does God do with the proudful people? He humiliates them. He humbles them. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone with a proud heart is detestable to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Proverbs 16.18 says, Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly of spirit with the humble than to divide plunder with the proud. And then third, God's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. James and Peter both quoted this verse in Proverbs 3, verse 34. He says, he mocks those who mock, but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. I close with this last list. Number one, follow the truth wherever it leads. Two, invite and pursue correction and counsel. Don't blame shift. It's okay to be corrected. Number three, learn from everyone, including your enemies and your critics. Learn from them. Four, repent quickly and thoroughly. Repent means to like change your mind. It's like at some point tap out. Don't dig yourself deeper. I watched that happen this week. Someone tried to dig themselves deeper. Five, seek and celebrate other work in other Christians and other believers. Look what's going on around you. Text them, write them, 
Just encourage them. Six, cultivate a spirit of thankfulness. We come out of that season. Don't forget that season. Seven, listen to Scripture more than yourself. Read the Word. Dig in the Word. Try to figure it out. I, I know everybody has opinions. But I'm more interested in what the Word says than in people's opinions. Eight, exalt the name of Jesus in whatever you do. Nine, uh, laugh. You know, pr- proud people cannot laugh, and especially cannot laugh about themselves. <laughs> we sat around dinner last night with friends and laughed about the ways I pronounce different words from the stage. What's the big deal about saying, here's the deal? And did you know pronunciate is not a word? Like, how do you pronunciate a word? That's not a word. It's how do you pronounce a word, just so you know. I mean, come on. You have to be able to laugh at yourself. You're ridiculous. Just, you're great comedic material. Don't waste it. Just redeem it, all right? Just use it. And the last one, sleep like a believer. Mm. I apologize in my failure. I boast in what Jesus has done in me. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, Father, I pray for uh, humbleness today. I pray for wisdom. I pray for understanding. I thank you for like-minded people. I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you for all that you've taught us and that we are redeemed. May we walk in that. May we live in that today, this week. May we stay focused. May we encourage others to stay focused as well, those around us. So, Lord, we trust you, and we do. We pray for a good night's sleep tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.